Welcome to Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the Kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. Last week, we spoke about undistracted devotion. We spoke about how the great commandment, and we're going to look at that a little bit later, is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All includes everything. What does the word all exclude? Nothing. So it's all inclusive. Everything. So with everything that we do, every the way, every our motives, our thoughts, our ambitions, our dreams, they're all captured by this thing called love the Lord your God. In other words, fix your heart on Him, fix your attention on Him, put your motives into worshiping and glorifying Him, and that's what it means. That that that's the first part of of and of sowing the kingdom, where that becomes sown into our hearts, and that's its first expression. We also looked at Matthew chapter six where it talks about stop worrying about all these things. We've got to Matthew 6.33. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things that the world worries about will be added to you. Matthew 6.32 says, it's just the previous verse, For all these things, after all these things the Gentiles seek. And what is it talking about? About food, about clothing, about the house, about car, about the job, all of these things. You know, and I've said, I've said this for the past three weeks and I'll say it again. The biggest indictment, one of the greatest indictments against the church today is that we look just like the world. We confess Jesus. We say we belong to another kingdom that has its own principles and laws that it runs by. But yes, we live our lives in the same way as those who have no God. Why? Because we're worried or engaged in the same things. We're worried about just getting the job, a good job, hopefully, so that we can earn enough money to pay the bills, to live comfortably, to raise our children, uh, to give them a good education, to send them to tertiary education and give them the best advantage they can have. Now listen, are any of those things evil? No, they're not evil. They're not bad in themselves. But they should not be the pursuit of the believer. We need to take care of them. Granted. This verse doesn't say, don't take care of what you're going to eat. Don't look, you know. It says, seek ye first. In other words, there's a priority here that our primary motivation is not job, food, money, clothing, status, any of these things. Our primary motivation, our primary passion, our primary pursuit is the expression of God's love. Is the capturing of His love, the understanding of His love, the receiving of His love, of who He is, that is His kingdom expression, and bringing every area of our lives, every motivation, underneath that influence. So that that becomes the guiding influence when we take care of all the other things. So in other words, the way we express and we live, and we all the, in all those other areas of our lives, it is governed, by the love and the nature of who God is. What is it that sets you and I as believers apart from the world? It is what we actively pursue. What we actively pursue. A lot of people today are locked in this, this thinking that it's okay 
that, that to, to, to call Jesus my Lord and Savior, and somehow that means I now have my, my sins all forgiven, I've got my ticket to heaven, and I'm good for life now. I can carry on living life however I want to. But that's not the kingdom of God at all. That's just called this thing, this, this ticket of salvation. And Jesus never preached that kind of gospel at all. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, whereby through His sacrifice we come into relationship with God and literally partner with Him, receive instruction and guidance from Him to bring His influence into the world. Our pursuit changes from ourselves, our own comfort, our own happiness even, into pursuing the glorification of God, the extension and the establishment of His kingdom. We're engaged in it. We're engaged in it prayerfully. We're engaged in it practically. Not out of duty or religious obligation, but because our hearts are just so in love with our King. We're so grateful to Him for who He is and what He's done that we cannot but want to just serve and bless and convey and share that love with everybody else we know. It's a beautiful, passionate, inward motivation. Wherever believers are in a place where we need to be externally motivated, we need to acknowledge that something is wrong. When Christ is not motivating us from within, we need to confess that something is wrong. Somewhere, our devotion has been distracted. Our motivation has been perverted or polluted. Because we need somebody else from the outside to tell us what to do when we have the very love, the very Spirit of God living within us, desiring to lead us. So when that's not the case, we need to stop and say, hang on a second, something here is amiss. You and I as believers have a different pursuit to the world. A pursuit that is not selfish and just worried about me and my little family and our well-being. Because we know that we belong to something that is so much bigger than that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God means that priorities need to be set. Would you agree with that? Seek ye first means that I need to learn how to put first things first. I need to determine in my heart and mind what comes first. What is most important? And what is second most important? And how do I balance them? Well, you know, when you become, when, when we become part of the kingdom and we seek the kingdom, that means that we have certain responsibilities. You have a responsibility as a citizen of South Africa. Natural responsibilities. Let me, let me name some of your responsibilities. Never mind your rights, by the way. We love talking about our rights and what we are due. In other words, this country lives to serve me and my rights. What an arrogant approach. What are our responsibilities is another good question we need to ask ourselves. Well, income tax is one of my responsibilities. I need to pay tax on the money I make. Why? So that my country can, can maintain the services and service delivery and all these kinds of things. It is not dependent upon how good your government is. It is, it is not only if the government is good and not corrupt. We pay what is due. We have a responsibility to do so. What other responsibilities do we have? A responsibility 
to protect others' rights. We have a responsibility to take care of the marginalized, the disenfranchised. Amen? And there's many, there's many responsibilities that you and I have as citizens. It's our responsibility to obey the law of the country and be an example. Likewise, we come into the kingdom of God and if we have this mindset that Jesus came just to save my sin, hallelujah, then God exists for you. But God didn't create you and I to be Lord over Him. No. God created us for Him. For His glory. Out of the pleasure of, to, out of the good pleasure of His own heart. To be His people. The story, that the, the beautiful line that runs through Scripture and again and again and again from the beginning when God makes covenant is this. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be yours, beautiful intimacy, intimate relationship, and you will be mine. We belong to a kingdom. And with that comes responsibilities. Kingdom responsibilities. You know, as soon as I subject my life to somebody, I have responsibilities to honor and obey them. Let me give you an example. If you go to a job and you signed an employment contract, you have subjected your life to someone or to an institution or to a company, and therefore you have responsibilities to perform. Amen? And what, is our king, what are our kingdom responsibilities? Well, I want to tell you this. There's only three. Now, the way they're expressed is multitudinous. But here are the three responsibilities that you and I have as the kingdom of God. You see, Mark chapter 12, Jesus was talking to the scribe, and they were talking about the commandments, and the scribe said to him, what is the great commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We've been discussing this at, uh, at length. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor. So you have a responsibility, first of all, to God. You have a responsibility to your neighbor. And you have a responsibility to yourself. Threefold responsibility. To love the Lord your God. To love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, as yourself means that actually comes first. Love God. Your responsibility, our responsibility or the order of priority is like this. God, me, others. Now hang on a second. The Bible teaches that we need to put others first. What are you saying here? Well, let me explain. When I talk about kingdom responsibilities, a responsibility is something that we carry towards others. Would you agree with me on that? You have a responsibility to take care of something. Well, it could be for others. It could be for yourself. It means managing and taking care of that which you have been given. It is our responsibility, like I said, the threefold responsibility. First of all, responsibility to serve, worship, and obey God at all costs. What are we talking about there? We're talking about undistracted devotion. It's what we spoke about last week. If we look at Luke 9.23, Jesus said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, what must he do? First of all, deny himself. So in other words, you don't come first. 
You are going to have to put yourself second and God first. Take up your cross. In other words, that's going to mean sacrifice. There's things in your life you're going to have to lay down that you love, that are dear to you, that are important to you, that you may have to walk away from so that you can follow me because they don't go together. And third of all, follow me. The key to undistracted devotion is simply to follow Jesus, to keep our eyes upon Him, to go after Him passionately, to spend time in His Word, to spend time in His presence. Amen? The second responsibility is our responsibility to ourselves. What does that mean? It's a realization that we were saved for a purpose. And for that purpose to be fulfilled, there's work that needs to be done that begins in our hearts. And we need to take responsibility for that work. It means that Taking responsibility for myself means I deal with my stuff. You know what? It's your responsibility to deal with your stuff. And we'll get on to what that means a little bit later. It's not God's. It's not your spouse's. Although they'll try. I mean, they'll help. Willingly. They will help you deal with your stuff. But it's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility to sanctify ourselves. It's our responsibility to express love. You see, this responsibility is an expression of number one. As we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, as we take care of the primary responsibility, God takes care of responsibility number two. Now, yeah, but you just said we've got to do it ourselves. Yes, you do it in partnership with Him. You see, how do you know what you need to deal with in your life? Who reveals us to us our sin? Well, the Holy Spirit does. God does. And so together, we, as we devote our lives and our hearts to Him, as we seek His face, He reveals things to us and gives us the grace and the wisdom to deal with them that we may be conformed more and more to His image. So that, through that process, we can become whole, we can become mature, our faith can rise to a level where number three becomes a natural outworking of who we are, of who God has made us to be which is what? Love your neighbor. In other words, very simply, through intimacy and the pursuit of God, He speaks to our lives, He, 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 he breathes His presence and His Spirit upon us, and He, by His power and His grace, works about a change in our hearts that leads to a natural expression, number three. We, in turn, represent His love to everybody else. You may say, this is Christianity 101. This is the basics. And you'd be right. But sometimes it's good for us to return to milk now and then, you know. So that we can stop for a moment and say, you know, I've been busy with all these things. I've been building my towers in the sky and I've been studying all of this stuff. How's my heart condition? Because this is Christianity 101. Jesus came to, to, to do something and to reveal the state of our hearts. And that's where he works. Jesus works in the hearts of men. In the hearts. Not in the minds. Not in the performance. But in the heart. And so often in Christian life, we, we, we spend, as, spend as humans so much time focusing on performance. Because in our minds, success and performance are linked. We perform so that we can be successful. Our definition of success is based on results. And 
to achieve results, there has to be a certain level of performance. You understand? So everything, so we're working from back to front, whereas Jesus says, I've made you a success. You don't have to perform to be successful. Because of me, you are successful. You don't have to perform to be accepted. You don't have to perform or do anything to be loved. You are loved. And therefore, out of the overflow of your acceptance and your love and who I have made you to be, you live me through you. Isn't that so simple and so beautiful? And that's why... God said, don't be distracted about all these other things and measure performance by the world's standards. Here's how we measure performance. How much or to what level or to what degree has Christ been formed in me? Because where, the, where Christ is, there is acceptance, there is success, there is righteousness, there is fruitfulness, there is grace. Amen? Thirdly, kingdom responsibility to others. And we're going to look at that a little bit next week. But as I was pondering on this recently, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord gave me this statement. Our responsibilities ought to determine our, our priorities. We're talking about priorities here, seeking first the kingdom. Our responsibilities ought to determine our priorities. Therefore, if I understand my responsibilities as a citizen of the kingdom of God... I understand how I need to prioritize my life, what I need to put first, what needs to come second, what takes priority over what. Now the mark of maturity is the ability to handle responsibility. Would you agree with that? What makes somebody mature? The measure of responsibility they can handle responsibly, if I can put it that way. An immature person cannot handle responsibility, but a mature person knows how to handle responsibility and doesn't abuse that responsibility either. Immature people do whatever they feel. They are oblivious to the consequences. Either that or they just really don't care. That's an immature person. They just do whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the consequences it may have. Immature people will try by all means to shirk any kind of responsibility and will avoid all forms of commitment. That's a hallmark of an immature person. They are unwilling to commit themselves to anything because with commitment come resp comes responsibility, which means they'll be held to account. Immature people shun and run from responsibility. Immature people are also unwilling to make sacrifices. In other words, whatever seems more fun at the time, that takes priority. I'm not willing to sacrifice my life or my enjoyment or my pleasure for something I've committed to. I may have committed, yes, Pastor, I want to be there. I'm going to be there at the prayer meeting every week. Wednesday night, prayer meeting. Good example. I'm going to be there. I'll be there, Pastor. I'll give you my word. Thursday morning, why weren't you there? No, look, my, um, my cousin had a birthday party, Pastor. And, and I had to go, you know, it was my obligation. So you'd rather go and eat cake than be responsible. Or than stay committed to what you've taken responsibility for. Just an example. But what does that reveal? It reveals the heart. It reveals where the priorities lie. That someone's birthday party and eating cake is more important than the things of God in a pre-meeting. Now look, I know when you throw in cake, sometimes those lines become really hazy. 
Bible says the Word of God is sharp as a two-edged sword, dividing asunder the caramel and the icing. I mean, uh, the, 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 the flesh and the soul. The, the, uh, the, the soul and the spirit. So we can discern what is more important, what should be more important, and reveals to us the very desires of our hearts and when they're out of, out of line and out of kilter with the Word of God. Let's talk about mature people. Mature people consider the consequences of their actions. That's one of the hallmarks of a mature person. In other words, they base their decisions and, they, and the way they live their life well, let me rather start again. They live their life in such a way and make decisions in such a way that is cognizant of the effect their, effect, their, their decisions and behavior will have on other people. Mature people have a vision or an end goal in mind. They belong to something and they know they're working towards something that is bigger than themselves. They're a part or a cog of a bigger organism. Mature people understand that the world does not revolve around them and they are happy to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Immature people have the world revolving around them. And everything's an issue and they moan and complain when they don't get their way or where they feel they've been subjected to unfair treatment. Mature people, you don't find that in them. They're not constantly fighting for their own rights. They've reached a state of maturity where they live above the circumstances and they can handle responsibility because of that. They're not just shifted and thrown and they're not emotional and up and down and in and out. They're steady. They're consistent. They're stable. And they live deliberately. They know what they're doing, they know why they're doing it, and they know what the end goal is. Now folks, if you and I have a kingdom responsibility... I don't want to handle that responsibility as an, as an immature person and just pretend like it's nothing. That is not important. That's why Christ wants to do a work in our hearts that we do not remain babes, but that we come to a level of maturity, to a place where we can accurately represent Him to the world. In order to mature in Christ and to fulfill our kingdom responsibility, we are going to have to face many Nevertheless moments. Say nevertheless. Let's try that again. Nevertheless. nevertheless. Now why is that such a big important word? It's because that word is what helps us overcome our resistance and our opposition to immaturity. Let me give you an example. Here's a good example. It's a poignant one. It actually happened the other day. I was online... There's a new marathon happening in Cape Town. It's not a full marathon, it's a 12k run from somewhere in Mulleton all the way into, into town. And I thought, this sounds fantastic. And you get a cool Puma t-shirt. And I was quite intrigued by this. I'd like to do this run. So I went on, I checked the detail, I checked the route, I checked everything. And I'm about to email my wife and say, hey, babe, what do you think of this? You know, I'm, I'm keen, what do you think? And then I checked the date. It's on a Sunday. And so I reached a nevertheless moment where I thought, I'd like to do this race. I'd like to do this run. I'd really like this t-shirt. But nevertheless, not what I will, but I know where I need to be on a Sunday morning, God. And it's not running out on the road. It's in your house. Jesus faced that moment. And Jesus is our ultimate example of this. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing exactly what he was about to face, 
pleaded with his father. Don't tell me Jesus didn't have a will of his own. Jesus had a, a will of his own. He was pleading with his father that if there was any other way for the world to be saved, please, God, let them in. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had a will of his own, absolutely, but his will was perpetually and constantly surrendered to his father's will. Jesus did not come to do his own will. He did not come to fulfill his own mission. He came to serve the Father. He came to represent the Father to the world. And, you know, I believe, again, one of my favorite examples, and I mention it often, is at 12 years old when he's in the temple, and he thinks, he believes with all his heart that he's doing the work that his father sent him to do. He's asking questions, he's teaching, he's, he's being taught. He's in the temple and his parents come and say, we've been looking for you for three days. Where have you been? He says, Ma! You can see, 12-year-old, Ma, don't you know I should, I should be about the work of my father? Ma. And the Bible says for the next 18 years he remained subject to his parents, even though he probably felt he was ready. Again and again, Jesus had those nevertheless moments. And again and again, you and I are faced with nevertheless moments. The most memorable miracle that I've ever experienced in praying for somebody was a nevertheless moment in my life. Where I was in an, 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 an audience, and there was a prayer line in the front, and God said, go up to the front. I just had this prompting in my spirit. So I thought, you know, those of you who know me well, if I'm in a place and there's something I can do, I generally get on and do it. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm here to catch. I'm here to see how I can help and just be around the periphery. And there was a man there. And God said, go and pray for him. So I walked to the other side of the auditorium. <laughs> you know, no, 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 Lord. Clearly, I'm just here to help. And again, my eyes fell on the man and I sent the prompting, go pray for him. So you know what I did. I went to the other side of the auditorium. Until eventually, I dealt with me and said, God, I don't really want to do this. I'm really uncomfortable about this. Nevertheless, okay. And with fear and trepidation, I don't want to go through the whole story. I went and prayed for a man and saw a miracle take place of, of healing and manifestation of God's power in his life. Which wouldn't have happened had I not reached the nevertheless moment. I didn't do anything special there. God healed him. It's not that I'm anything special or there was some power. I didn't feel no anointing. There was no shaking. It's just me going and praying for somebody and laying my hands on him. And God did something awesome. But I had to first yield. And this is what I'm talking about, folks. These nevertheless moments are the moments that shape our lives. These nevertheless moments. There are some things I had to give up that I worked years, years towards that were very precious and real to me and dear to me and that I was really passionate about. And if I had to tell them to you, you'd probably go, are you serious? You were passionate about that? But I was. But I had to lay them down. I had to give them up. I had to put them on the altar because I faced nevertheless moments. Were they evil? No. But I knew what God was telling me to do. Now, have I done it every single time? No, I failed and I've fallen short. And I don't give myself the credit for where I am today. But I will say this. Nevertheless, moments are the moments that shape our hearts toward God. That conform us into the image where we willfully bend the knee. Where we bow the knee to the Lord and say, I don't want this God, but nevertheless, I, 
I yield to your wisdom. That's also expressed in the way we relate to people that God has placed in our lives. There have been many instances in my life where I've had nevertheless moments with Pastor Andreas. In fact, I still have them regularly when it comes to designing the standard cover or something like that. And I'll submit something to him and he'll go, yeah, I don't like it. And I'll go, but I like it, but nevertheless, this is how you want it. This is how you get it. That yielded heart, that heart that is constantly willing. You know, when Jesus prayed that prayer, it's recorded in Mark 14, 16, he started this. Dad. Abba. Dad. He's having a moment here. Dad. Dad, I'm calling to you. Dad, I'm scared. Dad, if there's any other way, please, let it be. Sweating blood. But nevertheless, regardless of how I am feeling right now, your will is more important than how I feel about this. God, your will is more important than how I feel about this. Your will concerning how you want me to love my wife is more important than how I feel about my wife at that moment or how I feel about loving her. Your will is more important than how I feel about loving my spouse, my husband, if you're a wife. Your will is more important than how I feel about evangelism and sharing your love. Your will is more important about than how I feel about my boss. You're asking me to submit. Your will is more important than how I feel about this person. Your will is just more important. It's just more important. It's more important, God. I prioritize it and I put it first. It's more important than my sleep in the morning when I know you want me to spend time with you. When you know you, you want me in, in, in a prayer meeting, for instance. Your will is more important. It's more important. But yet, in our lives so often, the will of God is just another option in the list of so many things that are important. But it's not. It's more important. It's more important than my family. It comes first. And everything else comes second. And that's the place where through us, God can begin truly sowing the kingdom. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. I beseech you, brethren. In other words, I beg of you. Listen to me. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Ex holy. In other words, set apart. Let me read to you a little bit of what holy means here. Give you a bit of the definition of the word holy. I've got one of these fancy Bibles that gives you names and, and meanings and, and all the rest. Speaks about holy. There it is. Holy, it means sacred, pure, blameless, consecrated, separated, properly revered, worthy of veneration, godliness. It's God's innermost nature set apart for God. 
Since nothing that is polluted could be holy, purity becomes a big part of holy. A holy God calls for a holy people. It says here, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present. Say, you present. What does it mean to present? It means to bring before. I present you with my body. Here it is. Do with it as you will. To present your bodies, a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, given everything that God has done for you, if you call Him Lord, this is not going above and beyond the call of duty. This is just your reasonable service. Logical service. And do not be conformed to this world. And that's what we've been speaking about. In other words, we look like this world. We think like this world. We behave like this world. We carry the same list of priorities and values as this world. He says, don't, but be transformed. In other words, changed. That's a work of the kingdom of God by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I want to read the scripture to you again from the Amplified. It says this, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make decisive dedication of your bodies presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service of spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after, adapted to its external, superficial customs. But, be transformed or changed by the entire, say entire, entire renewal of your mind, that by its new ideals and its new attitude, you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. God has a perfect will for your life, and He wants nothing more than to prove through you that His will for you is good. Isn't that exciting? But this work is something that you and I have to do. This is our kingdom responsibility. We are responsible for this. We cannot excuse. We cannot pass on responsibility for this. We are responsible for our own lives. Until we have allowed God to do a work in us, you see, He cannot do a work through us. God's desire is so much more than you. God's plan is so much bigger than you and than me. Romans 8 verse 19 says this, The earnest expectation of all creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The word sons there speaks of somebody who is mature or perfect or come to a place of maturity. What does a mature son look like? His father. He looks like his dad. He thinks like his dad. Now, I don't mean physically, because if you compare to me, me to my father, my natural dad, you'd be like, ah, Michael, you've got some work to do. You're going to have to shrink a bit, lose a bit of hair. But in personality, I can confidently say this, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. I'm my dad's boy. And praise God, I can also say, if you've seen me, you've seen my mother. Best of both. 
Those who are mature look like the one who raised them. This is what Jesus said, John 14, 7-11. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to the Lord, Lord, show us the Father. That's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you for so long. And yet have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And the Father in me. Oh, sorry, I've seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who tells me, who dwells in me, does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for, a sa for the sake of the works themselves. Do you see that Jesus was the ultimate expression of the kingdom of God? You see the Father in me, and if you can't see the Father, at least believe the works that you see, but the kingdom of God, the lordship of God, the love of God, is, is, is manifest and expressed in who I am and what I do. Therefore, if you've seen me, if you know me, you know what the Father is like. You know Him. I am the representation of Him. And that is the desire of God for you and for me, believer. To be His representation. When we seek first Him and His kingdom and His love, we're going to begin looking like Him. And this begins to find its expression in our lives more and more as we face those nevertheless moments. And where we consecrate ourselves, set ourselves apart from that which we want, and say, nevertheless, Lord, what do you want? I don't like this person. They rub me up the wrong way. Well, this person is my enemy, or they're using me. Nevertheless, I will love them, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to bless them, because that's your heart towards them. And it's that constant yielding, and constant surrender, surrender that begins to manifest the kingdom, not just in our hearts and in our attitudes, but in and to the world that is around us. Let me close with this portion of Scripture from Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 16. Paul writes, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for who I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him. In other words, deeply, experientially, intimately, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many are as mature, have this mind. Let's stop there. What is that mind? That mind is, there's a past, I may not have gotten it right always, I may still have stuff to deal with, but I press on towards the, on the goal, Jesus. The upward call of God in my life. What is that upward, upward call? It's one of the resurrection, but it's also God is constantly calling us upward to raise our expectation, to raise our level of faith, to raise our character up to His level. And that is our pursuit. And that is our goal. And folks, that is our kingdom responsibility. You see, until you and I take care of ourselves and we come to a place of maturity, God is limited by what He can do through you and I. And so if we have a kingdom vision and a kingdom mandate, we must realize that we have the kingdom responsibility to prepare and to equip ourselves for the mission. And that is our job. And so folks, I pray that as, as we go into this week, that, that these very simple words, that this very simple principle, would, that there would be a spotlight or that it would begin to take center stage again in our lives, and where there's been distractions, and where we've been focused on many other things, that we would once again acknowledge that God is busy, and He's desirous of doing something very special in our hearts to make us more like Him. Shall we stand? And I want to pray over you this morning the very prayer that Jesus prayed for His disciples and for those who would come to know and would come into relationship with God later on. So let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, we want to thank You. Lord, that, that the kingdom of God is not a complicated thing. We want to thank You, Father God, that we are not presented with a list of conditions, and we're not presented with a list of instructions from you, Father. We're just presented with an invitation to make you our pursuit. And Father God, we want to do that this morning. We want to set our hearts upon you this morning and say, Father, where we are distracted, would you, would you arrest our attention? And where, Father God, we've been living in ways that are immature, where we've not been considering the consequences of our action, where we've been living just for the fun or for the pleasure, where that has become more important than you and your will, Lord God. We want to pray that you would touch those areas of our hearts and minds, even now today. That nothing in our lives would become more important than you and than your will. That your kingdom, that your love, would be the very motivation for our every thought, word, and deed, Lord God. That nothing in our hearts would be considered too much of a sacrifice or too much of a burden. But that in all things we'll say, Father God, although we may not understand, although we may not feel like it, nevertheless, you come first. And so we humble ourselves, we submit ourselves to allow you to change us from within, Lord God. That we may not look like the world that we may not think like the world or behave like the world or pursue the things the world pursues, but that you would put your pursuits, your 
principles in our hearts, Lord God. And that from the overflow of who you are and our revelation of you and the love that you, that you shed abroad in our hearts, Lord God, we would demonstrate you to this world, Lord Jesus. And even as you prayed, Lord Jesus, I do not pray that you should take us out of the world, but Lord, that you would keep us from the evil one and his influence. Father, we are not of this world, just as you were not of this world. We pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word, Lord God, is truth. And as you sent Christ into the world, so also, Lord, you sent us into the world. And likewise, Jesus, as, you, as for our sakes, you sanctify your, sanctified yourself. Lord, we pray that we too would be sanctified, set apart unto you for the world's sake, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you, that you prayed for all of us here today, that we may be one, even as you, Lord Jesus, and the Father are one. We pray, Lord, that you would be in us, just as you were in Christ, and that we would be in you, and that through that, Lord God, we also may be one, that the world may believe that you sent us, Lord God. That the glory which you have given Christ, Lord, would rest upon us as you've given it to us, Father God, each one. That we may be one. You in us, us in you. That we may become perfect and mature. And that the, so that the world may know that you have sent Christ and that you have sent us and that you have loved them. Even as you have loved us. That is the message of the kingdom. And that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And the Lord's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomega.org.za.